Thanks, Darren, for leading us service, and Valerie for leading us the songs. And uh, before we begin, shall I pray? Pray that it won't be a meaningless sermon. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this privilege to open your word, to know your revelation that comes to us by your grace. So pray that your spirit will take your words and plant it deep into our hearts and so that we will live a life full of faith to overcome the fears of our life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So during the last few weeks of my father's life, he still refused to amputate his leg. You see, for many years, he refused to take his medications for his diabetes and high blood pressure. Then one night, he fell as he was feeling faint. And that led to him lying on a bed, a hospital bed, for many months for treatment and recovery. But one leg, unfortunately, one leg developed gangrene. And so despite the doctors and family members encouraging him to amputate the leg, he simply refused. He chose to endure the pain, but as the days passed, he couldn't eat. So every time he brought him his favorite food, he would just take a few bites and then he would vomit out the meal. And the hospital also had to discharge him because he refused any more treatment. And soon there was a foul smell. A, smelling, a foul-smelling liquid discharge that came from his toes, making it very hard for my elderly mother to take care of him. So my siblings and I discussed, and we came to the conclusion that a nursing home would be the best option for him. So this led me to go on a recce trip to one of the nursing homes here. And so when I arrived, the ground floor looked so peaceful Last vegetation surrounded a stone table and there was an old man sat by himself reading the papers. That's not too bad until I lost my voice. <laughs> Can you hear me? So I thought to myself that it's not too bad and so until I was guided upstairs to the living quarters and there I was greeted by dozens and dozens of elderly ones in their wheelchairs, every one of them had tubes from their noses. And they were smiling at me, and these were the lucky ones, because at least they are mobile. And as I entered the bedrooms, I was shocked. Then I see rows and rows of bedridden ones, old eyes staring blankly into space, with their grey heads sunk into the pillows. To say by the very least, I was overwhelmed by what I saw. It was a depressing sight. But what was more depressing wasn't what I saw with my own eyes. Rather, it's what I learned about my own heart. Why, I asked myself, was I overwhelmed by what I saw? Why was my psyche unable to accept this sea of grey hair, this reality? Of aging. So upon reflection, I realized that I am a child of the modern society where we celebrate only youth and beauty. So we don't cope well with notions of aging. 
So every day we consume images, fantasies of eternal youth and health. So even the pictures of the old people we see on TV, they're always smiling and strong enough to ride a bicycle. If not, they'll be golfing away. So I can have the first picture. And then, of course, we know her, Carrie Fisher. She was an actress that played the famous character Princess Leia in Star Wars. She first acted in the role in 1977 to 1983. More than 30 years later, when she was 60 years old, she was given a chance to take back the same role. But now as a more mature general. However, the condition on her contract to act as Princess Leia again was that she has to lose 35 pounds or 16 kg. Only then they will sign a contract with her. And when the film was released, The Force Awakens, in some corner of the cyberspace far, far away, some fans were all complaining that Princess Leia got fat and ugly and old. And so she no longer looked like her 20s, but of course. And so in her response, she wrote this in a Twitter. Next slide. She said, Youth and beauty are not accomplishments. They are temporary happy byproducts of time and DNA. I thought that was a very wise way of saying youth and beauty are not accomplishments. You don't do anything to deserve them. They're just byproducts because you're young or you have good genes. See, the truth is, now off the slide, every one of us will get old. So when I was doing my national service in the army, every year I was given a table of wonderful numbers to remind me of the effects of aging. What kind of table? Can I have a slide? And this is the table. It's the IPPT table. So for the men, you will know. So it shows that the older we get, the easier it is to pass the physical fitness test. Right? Because, you see, for those who are below 25 years, you need to do more, faster, and jump higher. And for those who are 40 years and, uh, and older, you need to do less. But in reality, it's the other way around, I found out. You see, in my 20s, you click, I never had to train for my sit-ups or my shuttle run. I always gotten an A grade. You know, I felt like I was karate kid. But then in my 30s, you can click, I had to train very hard to maintain my grade. Until I reached my 39 years old, my last IPPT, click, that I learned that no matter how hard I train, I could barely pass the standards already lowered for my age. No, at that time, I felt like Sylvester Stallone, but in the movie, The Expendables. So I could hardly do my sit-ups. I must use my hand instinctively to pull myself up, and everybody was laughing around me. And my stomach was trembling like a bowl of tofu. So if the army had not lowered its standards according to my age, I definitely were failed. So what did I learn? There is no denying that aging has its effects. Age is not just a number. In fact, the problem of aging is an age-old problem. That no generation has escaped aging. And yet, we try. 
We try to deny every day aging and its effects on us. And maybe the reason we do so, I'm guessing, is because we are afraid of getting old. Why do I say so? So because if you look at the world and how the modern world measures the progress of humanity, it's all about gaining material wealth and the freedom to do whatever we want. That is what we call happiness. And then over the last few centuries, the rise of modernity, we have reduced the world to only the material realm that we can see and touch. And we reject all other possible perspectives of the supernatural. Now, please don't get me wrong, I'm very thankful for the developments of science and technology. But to reduce the whole world to simply materialistic causes, then we no longer have the answers to questions like, why suffering exists? Why is there old age and death? And so the only hope in life we have in this short span of time is just to maximize our happiness as much as possible in the materialistic way. And so what happens in the way we look at each other? We reduce each other to either consumers or producers. Your worth to me is how much you can buy from me. And your worth to me is how much happiness you can give me. But that leaves us weak, psychologically weak when we grow old, especially for those who live in developed nations. You know why? Because we are relatively richer and more successful, so we think that we are so clever. We no longer deserve to suffer pain, and we deserve to be happy all the time. In truth, it becomes so scary to become old when we lose our productivity and our earning power that the materialistic world no longer will love us who are old and have less spending money. Furthermore, the elderly are so slow. You know, whether they're on the roads in their big cars or the MRTs or in the ATM machines, they are always seen to us as obstacles in our march, in our charge for progress. It is no wonder why one of the greatest fears of elderly is the fear of becoming useless. So whenever I chat with my mother, she always say that she's useless in society. Then in Mandarin, she say that she's zhen mei yong. And each time we visit her, we go in there empty-handed, but we come home with bags and bags of NTUC groceries, full of things she bought for us that we could have bought for ourselves. Why? Because she wanted to feel that she can somehow still contribute. And so we let her buy those things for us to give her some dignity in being able to contribute. But no matter how much we try to deny or delay, the reality of aging will one day soon hit us. And all the materialistic world has no answers. In fact, it only aggravates the suffering that comes with aging. So what does the Bible actually say about aging? And that's today's Bible passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach 
when you say, I will find no pleasure in them. And then he continues in verse 2 to describe how old age makes one see the lights of the sky fading with no more capacity to have joy and troubles of life will keep coming. Let's look at verse 2. It says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Troubles keep coming. Then verse 3 to 5, it describes the weakening of our bodies. Verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, and that refers to the arms, and a strong man stoop, and that refers to the legs, and when the grinders cease because they are few, that's the teeth, and those looking through the windows grow dim, our eyes. And verse 4, when the doors to the streets are closed, our ears, and the sound of grinding fades when we have impaired hearing. And when people rise up at the sound of birds because they have erratic sleep patterns, but all their songs grow faint because they can no longer participate in the world. And verse 5, when people are afraid of heights, they have a lack of control, a fear of falling. And of the dangers in the street, when they become frail and defenseless, and when the almond tree blossoms, graying of hair like Pastor Christia, and when the grasshopper drags itself along, ungainly walk like Pastor Jeff. I didn't say that. And the desire no longer is stirred, weakened sexual appetite. And then people, people go to their eternal home, the inevitable death. And mourners go about the streets. That's the biblical description of old age. So no matter how you philosophize about death, how you whitewash away the pain, it will always be a frightful event for those who are dying, a sad event for those who are witnessing. That's why they are mourners. The Bible does not sugarcoat reality. At the same time, the Bible also calls us to remember God before we die. Verse 6, Remember Him before the silver cord is severed, severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So a few years back, there was an alumni gathering, alumni gathering for those who work in the office where I first started working. And so it was held in Sentosa Island, and we were given a free ride on the scenic cable car line. And then we were so randomly assigned to groups of four and five in each cable car. And horror to my horrors, I was in the same cabin as my previous assistant managing director. He was one of those lions of the office, and we'd be trembling before him with our papers. We had to placate his anger before he shouts at the other lions. And now, he's sitting in front of me less than one meter away. To say the least, I did not enjoy the ride. But 15 years has passed since I left the company. And throughout the cable car ride, I remained silent, and he kept talking. 
but he was talking about how he's still trying to make himself useful by volunteering at various places. And then once in a while, he would stand up, adjust the ventilation vent of the cabin, complaining about the temperature, and then he would sit down. And I thought to myself, the once mighty lion was now a frail man who only talks about ventilation vents. Friends, all that you have achieved in the boardroom, no one remembers. All that you own, you can no longer enjoy them when aging comes. That's why it says in verse 8, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. So the truth is, whether we are young or old, we are all afraid of aging. We all fear becoming like the elderly, so we want to delay the effects as soon as possible because aging is a prelude to death because we live in a world where two persons die every minute because death makes human life and effort meaningless. So at this point, I must calibrate and emphasize that the Bible is not calling us to become monks, to be monastic, to reject all pleasures of youth because of the eventual and inevitable season of old age and death. Rather, God is asking us to see, to see that He's sovereign over the times that He brings into our life. Okay, click. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in His time. And as we see the beauty of each season under God's hand, we learn to embrace every season of our life and act wisely in each season. So the call is not to reject the season of youth or to reject the season of aging. The call is to embrace your youth when it's your young days and when you're older, embrace the age of aging. And this is what it means to act wisely as you go through life. And just as we go through each passing season, we also find that we will yearn for eternity. Next one. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So here there's a tension. While we are called to embrace temporary seasons of life, we are also called to yearn permanence, yearn for eternity. And But no matter how hard we try, we can't resolve this tension on our own. Why? Because we can never find eternity in this life, in this world we live in. We can never understand life nor its purposes. And so it says here, next line, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. But know this, if we try to find meaning in the fleeting nature of life, we will always conclude that life is meaningless, but if impermanence of life makes us yearn for eternity, then it is driving us to find the eternity in the eternal one who is God. Which is why verse 12 verse 1 says, Remember, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. That's why we have different seasons 
of life. So just last week, I was watching a documentary, a Net Joe documentary, we get on a wife on scams. And so the investigative journalists went to Jamaica, a hotbed of scammers for Americans, and then to interview some of the scammers there. And so it's quite interesting, in a meaningless list of life, some Jamaicans chose to be scammers. Why? They explained, this crime pays better than drug trafficking. Scamming is more lucrative than drug trafficking. If you want to be rich, you know what to do now. Scamming brings them happiness. And then, who would they target? They target the old, old white Americans. Telling the person on the other side of the phone line that he has won a lottery. But for the elderly, we ask, why would they even talk or listen to them? And the reason is because they are lonely. In their great loneliness, they just wanted someone to talk to. And to keep talking, they would keep paying until some of them would just send their entire life savings. And then the journalist asked the scammer, one lady, how she felt. You know, how do you feel knowing that you have caused so much harm? Wouldn't you feel guilty? And what's her reply? She said, well, you know, Jamaicans are poor. We're still suffering for the effects of the past slavery and colonial powers. And now it's time to take back the money from the white people. And that's how she justifies herself. But interestingly, there was a scene where this scammer, she herself, she went to a quiet river and she bought black magic potions on herself, pour on herself, wash herself, to wash away the black bad luck. And then when she came out of the cold water, she proclaimed, fresh start, new beginning, fresh start, new beginning. Friends, no matter how much you are justifying your sins away, you will always struggle with the guilt in your heart. No happiness in the world can wash away the guilt. The guilt of the scammer is as universal as the problem of aging and death, which is why Ecclesiastes exhorts us to remember God even if life appears to be meaningless right now. Because not only do we have the problem of physical death, we also have the problem of spiritual death. Verse 7, repeat again, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Spiritual death, in the meantime for us, is manifested as guilt, as shame, as our inability to stop doing what we know is wrong. In fact, the death of our physical bodies is only a symptom, a symptom of the internal disease called a spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death. And just as we can't prevent ourselves from dying physically, we can't revive ourselves spiritually. But God, God did not sit on His throne and do nothing about this. Just because the Bible says no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end, it doesn't mean that God is not doing anything. In fact, to bring us back to life, 
Both spiritually and physically, God spared no expenses. He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to suffer on a cross on our behalf, to give us His righteousness, to wash away our guilt, our shame, and our sin. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, put it this way. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect, perfect through what he suffered. Here we see that Jesus, the pioneer of our salvation, is made perfect through suffering, through suffering on the cross. It's not that Jesus needs to be perfected. What it means here is that his role as the saviour of the world comes from his suffering. His suffering makes him perfectly adequate to be the saviour. And so, in other words, God must suffer for us in order to save us. And he does so because he loves us. So by now we're wondering, what on earth does this have to do with the problem of ageing? with elderly matters. My reply to you is, everything. So be patient. Why? Because as we suffer from aging in this broken world, in our broken bodies, we can draw strength, not from how good we are as a people, but we can draw strength to know that, that we have a God who suffered for us to save us when we are evil. Not because God is aloof, He's remote from our struggles. No, He sacrificed His own Son for us. That's our Father in heaven. And the Son suffered temptation in every way, but He did not sin, and He suffered on the cross. And the Spirit of God, He helps us in our weakness. For when we are overwhelmed by suffering, sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced it, sometimes you, have, you don't know what else to say. What else to pray? You run out of words. But the Spirit of God searches our hearts and prays on our behalf. He prays for us according to God's will. So friends, sometimes because of our pagan past, we tend to always think that we need to perform well as Christians. Then God will hear our prayers and then He will help us. You know, sometimes we think of God like the the judges in Master Chef. You know what I mean? You know, those judges who do not know how to cook, who never lift a finger, who help, and then you must work so hard to, to cook the dish and then give it to them and then the judge take a piece of a chicken, put it in the mouth and go. And then even if it tastes good, you never smile. Mm. That's what we think, right? We think that that's God. We must always please Him in the impossible way and He never smiles. He's so aloof from us. But the Bible presents a different picture of God. A God who knows that we are weak and tempted to give up in the moment of our suffering. A God who is like a father who feels the pain of his child, who will bend down and comfort the child. A God whose heart knows our suffering because he himself knows what it's like to suffer. Having established this, let us see 
how this affects the way we see aging. The first implication, first one, is this. What does it mean to have faith in a God who suffers? You see, in 1483, Martin Luther was born in Germany, and he always had a sensitive soul. So he gave up his fine education and decided to enter the monastery so that he could get closer to God. Because in those days, the monastery is the best place to guarantee a salvation and to deal with your guilt. But ironically, when he got in there, he observed all the prayers, all the monastic rules, and confessed all his sins and he fasted. But he did not get close to God. In fact, he called this period of his life a deep spiritual despair. Is it ironical? Until one day he read in Romans 1.17, it says this, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. So in this verse, Luther realized that righteousness, the state of being guilt-free and sinless, belongs to God because only He is righteous. But this righteousness of God He wants to give us is a gift, is revealed, and we only have to receive by faith. And interestingly, in his diary, he says his vows of chastity his vows of obedience and poverty, actually for him, it was just a more subtle way of trying to control God. That somehow by doing more than others around him, he was hoping to win God's favour. But Romans 1.17 says, we all need to trust to have faith that Jesus died for our sins. In exchange for our sins, he gave us his righteousness. And this trust is called faith. And it says here, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And this means that there is absolutely nothing, nothing we can do to manipulate God to give us His righteousness. We only need to humbly trust the gift He has given us. The righteous will live by faith. So unfortunately, why am I saying this? Because unfortunately, Luther's old wrong thinking about God still continues today in 21st century Christianity. There are those among us, they feel guilty that they're making all the money, and so they say, I will give money back to church. Or missionary, missionary reporting, I give money to missionaries. So they hope that somehow they can wash the guilt away by giving away money, or they can win blessings in future. They won't tell you in your face, but subtly it could be there. Or sometimes they feel that by coming to church, when they can give the time and energy to serve God, to evangelize, and somehow they will be spared in future of some severe illness in their old age, like cancer. Now, if not careful and go on in life, with such wrong thoughts about God, wrong thoughts about faith, then when old age and suffering comes, our house of cards will come tumbling down. When the rain came down, 
The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. It fell with a great crash. We were never ready to accept suffering. True faith, then, is knowing that we could never save ourselves. We could never manipulate God to prevent ourselves from suffering. Instead, our faith is a gift from Him, comes from Him, given freely to us, but at His cost, paid for us. Once we flip that, once we understand this, we begin to have faith in Him, that we trust in His heart, and we can continue in life with faith all the days of our life, no matter what we get in this life, whether you get promoted or demoted, whether there's suffering or there's pleasure. We know that He will continue to sustain our faith in Him because He who began a good work in us will carry on to completion on the day of Christ. So a few years ago, after, sorry, a few years after the passing of my father, my mother-in-law was struck with lung cancer. It came to all of us with a surprise because there were no symptoms, no telling signs. By the time there was a diagnosis, it was already stage four. It's like what the Bible we just read, the clouds return after the rain. But before we knew of her suffering, God, a heavenly father, has already set in place his plans for the caregiving. You see, God moved the heart of my neighbour, my non-Christian neighbour, to sell his flat because he was blessed with a financial deal that was just too irresistible. And his unit was just facing my unit. And so when we needed to find a new place quickly for my in-laws to move in, a place with a lift landing on every floor, my neighbour was more than happy he was making plans to sell his flat and he sold it to us. The timing was impeccable, perfect. So even my non-Christian neighbour, he remarked, wow, why so soon? So a few years later, my mom-in-law passed away and now my widower father-in-law is staying just next door where we could care for him. The arrangement is so miraculous, even my own mother envies my father-in-law now. But I can only buy one flat for her, right? I cannot tell every neighbour, please, please, please. <laughs> so I could only tell her, Santi the Ampai. <laughs> so just a few days ago, I crossed over to my neighbour's flat, my father-in-law's flat. I told him I'd be tasked to preach this sermon on elderly matters. And I need to do some research. So I asked him, I said, look back at your life, Dad. What is one thing you learned that you want to tell us, the young ones? He said, to trust God in life is the most important thing. Only then can one find peace and happiness. Then I ask, the last question is, what do elderly think and talk about all the time when you gather? You know what he told me? The answer is you. He said they think and talk about their children all the time. Some of our parents will be bragging about your achievements in front of their friends. The more quiet ones, they'll still be proud of you. Just keep quiet, but they still care for you. So the next question then is, as our parents age, 
How then shall we care for them? How shall we settle these elderly matters? And since it's sometime, I'm tell you a joke. So just yesterday, my wife went across to my neighbor's unit, my father-in-law, and she saw my daughter, 10-year-old, helping my father-in-law set up the Apple Music playlist for his 1960s songs. He was so happy to discover Elvis Presley, everything on Apple Music. And then she told me, <sighs> elderly matters. And then she came home to our unit and she saw me listening to my 1980s music, all the old songs. And she took at me, <sighs> send me elderly matters. <laughs> anyway, back to the serious point. So in Mike Amler's book, there's this book, he said, Saints, Sufferers and Sinners. I thought it's a very helpful framework for caregivers. In this framework, he says that as we journey through life in this broken world, the world of suffering as well as joy, everyone is a sinner, everyone is a sufferer, and everyone is a saint in the making. Our hope is to look forward to Jesus' return, where we will only be saints and no longer sinners and no longer sufferers. So in the meantime, how do we calibrate our caregiving? You see, in the meantime, when an elderly struggles with the effects of aging, he or she could be very, very fearful of the suffering to come. So this fear makes the person very obstinate, unable to adapt to the new season of life. For example, you can buy your dad a selfie stick, he might be happy. But you buy our dad a walking stick, he'll hit your head. Because he wouldn't even use it. it. It reminds him of the fear, the pain it triggers. Some will refuse to change their lifestyle habits. They will refuse their medication. Or they refuse to wear adult diapers. And for such a situation, what do we need to see? We need to see them as sufferers. Sufferers, because the suffering is real. What they need is not a sense of frustration from us, like, I cannot. But he need empathy. That we could even grieve along with them for the loss of their mobility and the loss of health. And we can do practical help to ease that suffering. And I found that only when they're assured of our love and our understanding, then slowly they will want to try to adapt. Slowly. But most importantly of all, we need to point them to the love of God the Father and to the hope in Christ and pray with them because the perfect love of Christ casts out all fears. Next, at the same time, we need to understand that we are all sinners, both the caregiver and the elderly. And the sinfulness sometimes can be expressed by the elderly to save face. For example, when I bring my, doc my father to the doctor, it's okay to talk about him because he's dead. <laughs> so, each time I bring him to the doctor, he will tell the doctors that they're all wrong, that they're all ignorant, but he's the sick one. And then he'll convince them that he's not sick. Then I'll try to find a hole to bury myself in. Or sometimes, you know, you have even Christians, because we're so Asians, you know, safe face. Then they, when they're alone, they wallow their self-pity, right? Ah, oh, so painful, so painful. Then when the pastor arrives to visit, whoa, hallelujah, I'm healed. You know, 
they can rise, they look so shiny, they can, they can joke with you, and then the pastor goes away, and then, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so, so sad, so sad. So it's like, we must be careful about all this face saving because it's an expression of salvation by our own works and not true reliance on the grace of Christ. But aren't we all the same? When was the last time you lied to save your face? We are all sinners. Knowing that gives us compassion for our elderly ones. And sometimes as they near the end of their lives, they could be filled with guilt and regrets. So don't be surprised as yourself too that when they reach the end of their lives, you have repressed anger and grievances against your parents coming out. And because our parents' sins have hurt us and scarred us along the way, they handed down to us the empty way of living. But we too are sinners. We too have scarred and hurt many people. So what really helps me is I must constantly remind myself that I'm a sinner and so I can listen to their confession. Don't judge them. Pray with them. Tell them about God's grace so that they can find fresh forgiveness again. And for myself, I must find strength to forgive them. And then there will be a closure, a reconciliation. And then the last dimension which we always forget or we tend to forget is that we are all saints in the making. So even if your parents are non-Christians, God is still wooing them, chasing them through all that's happening around their lives. And if they are Christians, God is definitely working in their lives to help them through the suffering to make them more and more like Jesus. Because each time you have your scan results coming back, you can choose you can choose not to fix your eyes on the gloomy results. It can only get worse. It's called cancer, by the way. But you can choose to lift your eyes to see the sovereign plans of God to make everyone Christ-like. And sometimes the elderly could be in such despair that he or she begin to doubt his or own faith. Or in the case where the elderly lost their cognitive ability, their mental capacity, they no longer behave in ways that are appropriate for people of faith. And this is where it's so helpful to have a right understanding of faith as a gift from God. That we point not to their inability to have faith, but we focus that we are safe while we were powerless. And God has saved them, will carry them all the way to the end, even if we no longer have the strength nor the mental capacity to have faith. So not only the sufferer, but the caregiver are being trained, being molded by God through the suffering. And only then we learn how to trust in God's trustworthiness and have faith in His faithfulness towards us. We are all saints in the making. So back to the story of my father. At his last days, God moved a pastor of another church to share the gospel with him. This was the pastor of my grandfather, which is my father's father. So one day, out of the blue, that pastor suddenly thought of my grandfather for no reason. My grandfather has already passed away. And at that moment, 
the phone rang. Then he heard on the phone, it was a request by my auntie for him to visit my father in hospital. And so off he went. And then when he went, after sharing the gospel in Teochew to my dad, my dad accepted Christ, just like that. My jaws dropped. Years and years of my dad's resistance just worn away, just like this. Later on, two weeks later, my dad passed away from pneumonia. You know what? For his whole life, my dad did not find God, but God found him. This is the good news, my friends. This is the gospel. Not that we found God, but God found us. Once we understand this, we will stop trying to manipulate God and start trying to trust in His great love for us. Then we begin to have faith in Him. And for all the elderly among us, I have one last thing to say, I hope to say to you. Auntie and uncles, you are not useless. No matter what this materialistic world tells you, because biblically, before we were Christians, we were all useless. All of our works are filthy wrecks. But in Christ, you can now move mountains by prayer. You can speak faith into the hearts of the next generation. For apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But remaining Christ, we can bear fruit, fruit that will last into eternity. So outwardly, you may lose your health. Inwardly, you are at the last lap of your final race of faith. Outwardly, you are losing your independence. Inwardly, you are increasing your dependence on God. So don't give up. This is your last lap. Don't give up on Christ. Don't give in to despair. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And together with us, we shall live a life of faith. Faith from first to last. Because the righteous shall live by faith. And to end, shall we all read the following passage together. Let's read together. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. Let us go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you saved us while we were still powerless in our sins. Help us then to lose our independence and find our dependence in you. Help us to walk by faith, by trusting wholeheartedly in your love for us, so that even as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we can proclaim as your people that your mercy and goodness shall follow us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.